Today's episode is brought to you by Artistic Artifacts. Artistic Artifacts is a creative resource for fabric, fiber, and mixed media art products sold online and in their shop in Alexandria, Virginia. They're an authorized Bernina dealer and carry a full line of Wonderfill specialty threads. Their goal is to be the source of creative finds for the creative mind. So come shop with Artistic Artifacts. They carry a wide selection of fabric for the sewing and quilting enthusiasts, modern quilting cottons, Australian Aborigine design, Indian, Indonesian, and African prints, hand-dyed, and so much more, along with a variety of notions and sewing supplies. You'll also find a wide selection of art supplies and vintage finds. So check it out at artisticartifacts.com or in-store in Alexandria, Virginia. Thank you so much, Artistic Artifacts. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 250 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about product development with my guest, Jamie Trinier and Jessica Drain of SoTights. <laughs> Jamie is an oil and gas engineer um, for most of her career, and she discovered the love of quilting after watching her mom sew many Halloween costumes, Christmas PJs, and quilts as a child. She started sewing when she made a king-size log cabin quilt for her husband over a decade ago. In April of 2021, Jamie made her lifelong dream of owning a quilt shop come true when she purchased a long-standing Calgary quilt and fabric shop called Out of Hand Quilting. And Jessica is a career marketer and graphic designer. Jessica has been helping businesses brand and market themselves for almost two decades. These days, Jessica spends most of her working time designing and developing new products, along with dreaming, strategizing, and managing the Sew Tights business as a whole. Jessica lives in Billings, Montana with her two sons, and she enjoys hand lettering, which she posts from time to time over at Sassy Jesse Gifts on Instagram, and is becoming a private pilot and hits her local CrossFit gym as much as possible. She and her family are most often found outside, camping, skiing, boating, gardening, and doing all those Montana things. So Jamie and Jessica, welcome. And I should have also said your sisters as well. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yes, absolutely. And um, I got to meet you very briefly in person at H&H Americas, which was lovely at the content creator event. Um, but I'm really excited to be able to sit down and learn more about you and learn more about your business, So Tights, as well. So um, so let's start with like growing up, your sisters. So you had the same household growing up. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and um, what you were like as kids. Were you um, were you always like entrepreneurial? Were you always creative? Like what was your household like? I would say no on the entrepreneurial. Like we never had lemonade stands or anything like that. Like we also lived really far in the country and we only had like six neighbors. So there was no one to buy anything like that. I don't, you didn't have a side little try and make money when I don't think you did. Just just No, you? no, but I mean, <laughs> um, was the office and stuff, you know, we would. True, true. And sometimes um, our parents are entrepreneurs and 
they owned an auto body shop. And so sometimes we had to go to the shop. So we were exposed to it for sure. And as far as like crafty, I mean, mom was always doing crafty things. She was either sewing, she was into woodworking for a while. Like she would make things like cut things out on the bandsaw and then paint them for gifts, like fish and ducks and nativity scenes and all kinds of things. So we were, there was always a craft room in our house. So we were always exposed to it, but never really, I don't know. I I don't think I was that crafty until like later in life. We grew up in Bozeman, Montana. So I don't live too far away from that now. Um, But all of our other siblings, Jamie included, left Montana. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I, oh, our mom was also a graphic designer, like, in her career, she, when when I was three, I think she ended up, you know, becoming a stay at home mom, but and to support our dad and everything in his business. Uh, So we did have I was always drawing and and things like that. So like Jimmy said, we definitely had a very kind of creative upbringing. And because we lived rurally, we, you know, always had to find something to do (laughs) with our time, which, uh, you know, sometimes meant taking our drawing pads up to our like tree forts or, you know, things like that and, and spending our time. I think Jamie maybe didn't think she was creative because I was always like doing art and she I don't know you could correct me if I'm wrong Jamie but she like didn't have that mindset then yeah and I was always more sciencey like I was like taking stuff from the kitchen and to make concoctions that were tasted terrible you know (laughs) (laughs) and so um so when you were in high school and, and going off to college um science you mentioned was what you wanted to do and did you study engineering undergraduate Jamie yeah I have an undergraduate degree in petroleum engineering from Montana Tech wow that's cool so what is petroleum engineering what does that mean (laughs) Uh, oil and gas. I mean, it's it's the like drilling, extraction, and production of oil and gas. Wow. So, so did, did yeah. you work in that field for a while? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, close to 15 years, I think. Okay. And, I, and did you find there. that to be like satisfying and interesting? Or what was that? What was it like in that work environment? It was very, very satisfying, like super interesting. But, you know, people ask you what you do. They have no clue. <laughs> which I think is actually the case for most things but um, definitely it was very interesting very well depending on the year fast-paced and um, so yeah it was I mean it was a good career while I did it my husband is still in oil and gas and Calgary is a very oil and gas centric town so we're still exposed to it but and what made you decide to to leave that and, and start doing something different I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, um, there was for Calgary, the size of a city that it is like over one and a half million. There's really not a lot of quilt shops. And when my oldest son was a baby, my favorite one closed. And so it got me like thinking like, well, where am I going to shop? And started thinking about doing something different and then it wasn't until you know six years later that I decided to do it I guess yeah okay (laughs) she had enough of working for the man (laughs) yeah Yeah, I I came into the store the store that we now own 
one day and asked the owner what her succession plan was. And she said, you. So she must I have walked. known you. You must have been a, a, no. a frequent flyer. No. Why did, <laughs> no. why did you think you would be the succession plan then? Well, I think because she didn't I, have one. <laughs> I know. I think, um, I mean, I had come here occasionally, but not super often. And just the life stage, like young kids, I wasn't sewing a lot. And, um, you know, she, yeah, she didn't have, she didn't really have another plan. And so here we go. I walked in for gray fabric and walked out with the whole store. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And what about you, Jessica? You became a marketer and a graphic designer, kind of like your mom, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's what I went to school for. Uh, I, we actually graduated high school from a different town. We moved to a, um, Columbus, Montana, when we were high school, that's where our father is from originally. So, um, I actually went back to Bozeman for college, graduated there and started my career. Um, and then I actually became an entrepreneur, um, in about in 20, late 2011, I got laid off when I was coming uh, back from maternity leave. And I always wanted to own my own business. And I always wanted to move back to Columbus, which is where we went to high school. Um, and I had just had, so I had just had our first baby and decided that that was the time. So I opened, I still, it still exists. It's kind of like very, very part-time now. Um, but it's just like a freelance marketing and design company. And so I did that. And um, even from like super rural Montana. So, so this started with a subscription box. Um, so yes. you worked together, I guess, first talk a little bit about how you decided to work together, because, you know, it sounds like you have other siblings as well in the family. It's not just how many other siblings do you have? Two. So there's four of you all together. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, some people would say family is an awesome partnership for business and other people would say it's like a recipe for disaster. So how did you guys come together and decide, you know, we could pair up and work together, even though we don't live in the same town, we don't live in the same country, um, but we could, we could do this and, and create like a subscription box together. So our, our parents actually, I mean, as we said, they're entrepreneurial And they were on a trip in Alaska with some friends and met some people who were making Bugo Bucks with um, silicone wedding bands. And so our dad came home and said to me, Jesse, I want to start an online business, but because you know how to do all that stuff, you just need to do it. And I was like, okay, um, what are we going to sell? You know? And so he's like, I don't know, come up with something. And so that was when subscription boxes were like, just really kind of like blowing up in, you know, 20, was that 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. It just seemed like it was like a big thing right then everyone had them. And so I, you know, and we brainstormed a bunch of different products and stuff, but then like I had to think of a way to narrow it down. And so I just thought about like our mom loves quilting and sewing. And then Jamie does too. And at that time, Jamie had already expressed that she always wanted to own a quilt shop. And I was just like, it'd be fun to do something with Jamie too. Like let's incorporate her. And how about we do a fabric subscription box? Like it just kind of was what we landed on. And um, so we did. Um, we We went all in three together into um, what we called Colsita. And we launched that, I think, in the January or late January of 2017, I think. And um, it was 
a challenging business for sure. Cause it's like cutting folding, you know, like you have to have huge economies of scale to build it. Jamie in our first, at first too, we went, didn't just do fabric. We decided we were trying like testing out doing kits. So we had a bag kit. And so Jamie was making a sample for the, like to do a blog post to kind of help our subscribers with, you know, making the, the, the pattern. And she used magnets to put a leather handle on the bag that she was creating. And she was pretty proud of herself for thinking of that. And then she happened to tell me about it. And we kind of, I was kind of like, she's, you know, cause she said, there's nothing else that I can think of that would hold these on. Like I can't use pins cause I don't want to put a pinhole in the leather and I can't use clips because it's away from an edge. So look at me, I thought of using magnets and I was like, that's a really good idea. You know, probably a problem other people have, but we didn't really like think about capitalizing, I guess, on that idea until about a year later uh, in January, 2018, we were getting ready to go to QuiltCon in Pasadena and we were trying to think of something to hand out to our, you know, people who are passing by to get them to come in your booth, like some swag or whatever. And so um, somehow one of us thought of like, let's test market this, this concept, these magnet, you know, we didn't even, we were just like using magnets for sewing. We didn't have a name, you know? And so we were like, yeah, let's just see, you know, this will be a good way to see if it's a good idea or not. And so we named them really quickly, um, had some business cards made up that we then like, and then had some prototypes that were ugly and not even pretty um, manufactured. And then we actually assembled them by hand on little business cards while we were driving down to Pasadena, me and a friend of ours that worked for us, Susie, for a while. And we only at that time had thought of obviously using them for bag making. So we had some sample like demos that we had in the booth. And then we would, engage people by talking to them about them. And, you know, at first they'd be kind of like, you know, how people do like a little skeptical and then their light bulbs would go on and they, you know, Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And they brought their friends back and we ran out of like a thousand or 1500 of them in like a day and a half of the four day show. And so we were like, okay, yep, it's a good idea. And so we went home and had our first production run made. I've made a website right quick. We sent some to our subscribers and like our industry friends that we had made so far in the industry. And then six months, it still was one of those things where we kind of doubted whether it was something that would really sell or not. Um, I think sometimes your own ideas you aren't really sure about. But then six months later, we started getting calls from distributors wanting to stock our products. And so they weren't even retail ready at the time. I Even though I've been in marketing and design, I hadn't really like I hadn't thought of putting them in stores. So they were just like in little bags with a little label. They didn't have UPC codes or anything on them yet. And so, but I've done all that all my career. So that weekend when I got the first call, I made them retail ready and the packaging hasn't actually changed a whole lot since then a little bit, but, um, and yeah, so then we, we were being carried by multiple distributors by that fall. Then we kind of kept getting additional ideas suggested to us. And then we just kind of grown it from there. So going back to this subscription box, um, you know, uh, it had some success. Like if you Google the name of it, it's pronounced called Sita, right? Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who are pretty prominent bloggers who, you know, got a free box and did an unboxing and showed what it, you know, what it had and people, it was like a, a modern fabric and kind of sewing project box plus the kits as well. 
Um, but you were saying that it was really a struggle, like it was a difficult business model. And your dad was involved at that time as well. So um, I guess for people who have, are wondering, well, what what is the struggle of the subscription box? Like what, how did that business go? Like, what did you learn from that experience? Because the boxes were really cute. They were orange and they were really nicely branded. And it was a, a cool idea. Um, but sort of what what about it was like, mm, maybe, maybe not in the long term. Um, I think that, well, the fixed costs were just so high. Like our labor to cut and fold the fabric, they were very high. And, you know, you kind of have to keep your pricing in what, say if they were getting a fat quarter bundle, you would have to keep your pricing what they would pay for that bundle in the store. And so your margin, because our fixed costs are so high to cut and bundle everything, like that really shrinks it down. So then you really have to have this like big economy of scale to to make it work. And very labor intensive, you know, like Susie um, that worked for us in the time, I mean, she was cutting and folding fabric for all day, every day, <laughs> you know, and then it, it's a lot. It, it it seemed like, I mean, it's a lot of fabric to get. Because I think we had, we had monthly, quarterly, maybe bi-monthly, you know, but mm-hmm. if someone's getting a fat quarter bundle once a month, I mean, if they're not sewing a lot, that's a lot. And they don't yeah. necessarily need it. You know, yeah, there's so a there's lot, a lot of churn. Through. Yeah, there's a lot of churn of subscribers. So you'll get, you know, five new subscribers, but you'll lose, you know, multiple. And, you know, there, I think there was more competition than I kind of realized. Like, even though I researched it, I didn't realize like how big a couple of the boxes were that were competing, even though they were a little different, like we didn't include notions and stuff. And, you know, if, if so tights hadn't have been a thing, we probably would have continued with that business. Um, I think we could have turned a profit in a couple of years after that, probably it probably would have taken a while and a little bit more investment of our own money, which, you know, at the time when we decided to shut it down, it was like, we're not putting any more money in this business. Um, because we're not seeing the return that we'd like. And, you know, it would have been kind of like an uphill continued battle. And then so tights came along and was this thing that was starting to like make money, actually more money in that very short in like six months than it had in the other business. And it's literally, I mean, at first we were packaging them ourselves and stuff. Like, you know, it's taken us a long time to, you know, we haven't manufactured products before. So we don't know what we didn't know. And every single product, we learned something. We've learned a lot in the latest one, <laughs> um, you know, but really it's like taking a package off the shelf and putting it in an envelope and shipping it out. It's not, the labor is is much less. So we just kind of decided, you know, it was a hard decision because that business felt so personal to us that it was kind of hard for us to make the decision to shut it down. Like it felt almost like a failure. And I guess in some ways it kind of was because it wasn't making money, <laughs> um, but it wasn't because so tights came out of it. You know, it was it was the catalyst for it. I want to take a moment now to talk with our sponsor, Artistic Artifacts. I am Judy Gula and the creator of Artistic Artifacts in Alexandria, Virginia. And what is Artistic Artifacts? Artistic Artifacts is a kind of a treasure trove of creative inspiration. We have a lot of samples. We have a lot of very unique products. Um, We have everything from high quality fabric to international textiles to paint. 
You can actually find our artistic artifacts brand of textile paints. So we feel that we really excite our people who come to visit us, whether they're shopping online or in our store in Alexandria, Virginia. And we just want them to find their place and create the art that's right for them at the time that they're in. You know, everybody kind of is always in a different place, but we want to give them some inspiration and a jumping off point and just support them with their creative endeavors. It sounds like a place you would go and every time you would go, you just discover something new to add to your sort of creative repertoire of materials. Yes, that is for sure. And we we do have, um, we suggest that you leave a couple of hours at least for your first visit <laughs> because there's so much um, that, that comes and we are always getting new products. We just got an, a new shipment from India of silk velvets and silk ribbons and sari silk and we're importing directly from Indonesia we're doing, um, you know, and, and we do source a lot of things in the U.S. as well and, and new products, but we're always trying to be different. Yeah. And Alexandria is right outside of the D.C. area, just for folks who might not know that. So if you're going to be visiting D.C. for whatever reason, this could be a stop on your trip. Yes, we. it is a wonderful, and when that happens frequently, Alexandria itself is a great place to visit as well. Um, we're, you know, part of that, and we have people come from all over the world to visit us. It's really quite a compliment, and we're very, very excited when that happens. We have information on artisticartifacts.com, okay. and do have the coupon code. So it is CIF2023. It's a one-time offer for 10% off one order. Perfect. Thank you so much, Judy. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Artistic Artifacts. And now back to my conversation with Jessica and Jamie. And you said that there weren't notions in this box, but so tights is a notion, which is interesting to me. So <laughs> even though you weren't making, a, you weren't, trying to source notions that were like unique or different or come up with ideas for unique or different notions. It was truly just like a piece of swag that you could give away to promote the box at QuiltCon. So interesting, right? Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I can see how how that might have felt a little bit like a failure, even though, you know, obviously it led to another successful venture. But um, did your dad stick with you guys after that? Or is he out of the picture as far as being a business partner at this point? We bought our parents out um, in, I think, 2020. So like within a year or so, I think it was in 2020, wasn't it, Jeannie? 2021, but it doesn't matter. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we bought them out a couple of years ago. So it's just Jamie and I now. Okay. All right. So, um, so you made this pivot, um, to, to close the box and, and in this process, this is around the time, Jamie, when you bought this, this shop, right? Cause you bought the shop in, um, in 2021, it sounds like, um, am yeah. I right about that? Right. So that yeah. was also a huge new business for you. <laughs> Did you have any feelings like, wait a minute, I'm already in business with Jessica. I'm not really sure I can have a second business. Like for me, I would be like, wow, that seems over like an overwhelming situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking back on it, yes. 
But at the time, <laughs> we, I mean, we shut down the subscription box, I think in 2019, we were getting ready for QuiltCon and trying to plan our booth, kind of like double-sided, because each on one tight, side, so tight on the other. And we just looked at each other, we're like, we just got to do one thing. So the box has been closed for quite some time. And then, you know, like so tights just kind of trickled along and it was, you know, it was a side hustle for both of us, a good side hustle, but still a side hustle. It certainly wasn't what it is today when I was. <laughs> so like we did our launch with Tula Pink two weeks before I came in and uh, for gray fabric, you know, that, that launch that we did with Tula Pink really, really helped us and it was big and you know like we were both excited about it and I was still gonna still do this and then I bought the store and um you know it's an all-consuming thing to do that so I really haven't been a very good business partner (laughs) since (laughs) I bought the store and so tights has become Jessica's like full-time it's full-time gig like she you know, as far as the org chart goes, there's like the org chart and then Jamie's up over here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to, I want to talk about the store. Um, but I, um, I also want to, let's first talk about, um, the collaboration with Tula Pink because it seems like, um, if anyone is familiar with Tula Pink, if you collaborate with her, you're going to kind of come out of the gate really strong. So how did you connect with her? Um, and what was the idea um, that you came up with to to work together? We, uh, I mean, we, oh, we knew her, we met her at, at Quilt Market several times because we've been going for, to Quilt Market, you know, for four or five years with the subscription box and then with so tights, we never had a booth, but we would walk the floor and hand out samples. And we, you know, we had met her a couple of times and we gave her some samples and, you know, she was kind about it, but like, oh yeah, nice. And like put it in her pocket because, you know, people are giving her stuff all the time. Like, and we mentioned to her about using it for EPP. Our friend Kitty Wilkin, Night Quilter on Instagram had um, suggested we had given her some of our originals. She suggested a smaller one for EPP. So that was our next, our next two models. One was a shorter purple one, which was our favorite for EPP. And, you know, you could kind of see the light bulb go on with, with Tula about that, but it wasn't until I think it was a almost a full year later. I think it was at the next market where we saw her again. And she, she Mm -hmm. asked if we would like to, do one with her like if she could design her own and so we said like well sure of course and 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 then you know she she's the one that wanted to do the heart and the you know the tp tp plus u you know kind of like it's written on a tree and um yeah that was really kind of yeah so it was great (laughs) it was just it was pretty easy you know i mean it was just kind of organic and um and then yeah just we actually like the launch day we didn't really have a lot of planning going on we just like text her I think and said like they're in stock and so we're like so when do you want to when should we plan to coordinate on you know launching it she's like I want to do it today you do deal with today and we were like um okay (laughs) (laughs) um and then obviously like far, far exceeded, you know, we didn't really know how many to manufacture, you know, there were lots of lessons in that whole experience as well. Um, 
but it all worked out for the better. And we've also had tons of other people who have just been so generous. And like Lisa Shaw, she um, has a company called Bubbles Menagerie. She actually had a booth at So Expo in Puyallup. I think in 2020, it was right before COVID. Like, and it was in King County where COVID, like, the talk was just starting. And then the week after they went home, that's when the world shut down. She, like, we actually sent friends to that show because we had just been at QuiltCon and we have kids and we're not going to be gone that much. And they actually, I mean, I have learned a lot about sewing. I don't sew a whole lot, but they really had just kind of gotten like thrown to the wolves. So they did a great job for us. Um, But she also had been using them for embroidery. So she came in and did a Facebook live and like just blew up sales at that show and online for us right then. Um, And then, you know, like Sarah Thomas with Sarah Diddy, she's been a big advocate. So it's just kind of like all stacked, you know, built and built and built. And then we get different suggestions or, you know, at trade shows, we kind of hear what people say. And then we're like, Oh, well, that's another idea, you know? And so. Right. So just to clarify, um, with that first collaboration, just to go back to with Tula Pink. So she designed this one and it was a heart and it said, T P Tula Pink plus you. So it looks like, um, it's been carved into a tree and it's, it, was it red? Pink. It's pink. pink. It's like okay, her, so it's her pink. Her yeah. color. Okay. So her in her pink. So you had this custom manufactured and then how did she launch it? What did she actually do? Did she just do a video or just post it yeah. on her Instagram or what did it look like? She did one of her Tula Talk Tuesdays. Okay. Um, Focus on it, which is an it. Yeah. like a, an Instagram live, I think is what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not live, but it is. Oh yeah. Or an Instagram like video. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. And, and that's, and, and, um, when it comes to figuring out, um, how to manufacture all of this. So, you know, magnets, this is, these are all magnets, right? The, the whole company is really based on magnets. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm sure there was a lot to learn about magnets. Um, it's like material science. I mean, it's helpful to have like an engineer here to figure this out, but, um, so wh- talk a little bit about the sort of early days of like sourcing and manufacturing. Like this seems like a big job. I, I can imagine just sitting in front of Google being like, how to buy custom magnets. It really wasn't super hard. Our, our latest <laughs> product was far more difficult, but the early products, um, we just found a manufacturer overseas asked them if they could do custom colors and shapes and they said yeah and so we're we're still using this original our original manufacturer like we have a good relationship with them and yeah they're still making them you know I think a lot of times people think also that they that manufacturing companies a lot of times I think people think that they have to own the physical plant and all of the equipment to be a manufacturer but like every manufacturer in the world doesn't necessarily own that they work with contract manufacturers, right? So, and Jamie and I had both read some books and just had been had some exposure that was like serendipitous that we kind of knew had some knowledge of like how you source, but like we have never done it before. And so, yeah, we did end up finding, you know, a company that to work with and they've been great. We have learned along the way some things like when we did the Tula Pink 
model. Um, we didn't realize in prototyping that some like an interior um, aspect of the, the Sotite was not there, which it had been in our other products. And so they were like falling apart when people were receiving them. Um, luckily, we didn't have nearly enough manufactured because we didn't know how much we were going to sell. So we iterated within, you know, like 10 days and um, remanufactured all of what we had originally manufactured and sent out replacements to everyone that had already received them. And then obviously moving forward had evolved. Um, as we're expanding into other products, you know, now we have our cutting system, like that's a whole manufacturing process. Even the the boosters is what we're calling them in the, the cutting system is a different process than manufacturing the, the sew tights. So and there's, yeah, the way that materials work together and don't work together. And this is a much higher level of complication of a product to pull together. Um, so it did take us, you know, like we can generally do a new model of a sew tights product within like nine to 12 months. We can go from concept to, 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 to shipment to customers. This one took us actually a little over two years to really start to figure out um, and finally get to, to market. So there's, and there's always something that we learn, whether that's from like inventory management to fulfillment to the actual manufacturing process. It's, you know, the, well, there's been, it's been very up and down. There's been lots of ups, but there's been lots of really big downs. Um, you know, we keep at least going up. That's in the right direction. Um, there's been times where we're like, this is why people don't do anything with their ideas because it's so hard. <laughs> I love that. I think we can all relate to that so well. Like, this is why people don't do anything with their ideas because damn, once you yeah. start, like it's, it's, just, it's so hard, you know? Well, so like, yeah. Yeah. And I always feel like there's something wrong with everything that we actually, like, we think we've thought of everything. And then we go to market and then it's like, oh, there's something wrong. We have to <laughs> remanufacture some aspect or whatever. And it feels very public because it's like we've already shipped some. And so then we're like, hey, some stuff's wrong again. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> always, uh, you know, we we are in this for like the long game, right? Like we believe in what we're doing. We know that we're providing a tool for people that's really useful or tools. And if stuff goes wrong, like we stand behind it, like we make it right. We iterate, we'll replace product, we'll remanufacture product, you know? And so, um, and I think that our customers that have been with us for a long time, because there definitely are customers who have been buying like, like there are so tights fans who buy everything we come out with. <laughs> and then there are the new people that, you know, have never heard of us before and just buy the thing that they happen to see at a trade show or something or, or online. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we hope we're doing things overall, right. <laughs> and it's a great product. And I, I have, um, I have many of them and, um, use them all the time. 
So I, I will say just like from a personal perspective, I love them um, oh, and use them for English paper piecing, use them for um, just as a magnetic pin cushion um, right next to my sewing machine. There's just like a lot of really good uses for it. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about the shop, um, Jamie, because when you bought this shop, it sounds like the person who had owned it, it was a, a well-known shop in Calgary, but um, she was ready for retirement and you do such a beautiful job for the shop's Instagram. It's like so bright and colorful and you're doing a lot of content there, um, including video. And, and so I wondered what the shop was like when you bought it as far as, you know, inside, but also it's online presence and how you've, um, how you've changed it over, if you have changed it over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and actually we're just getting right open. So you might hear the vacuum in the background. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she had, she didn't have an online presence. Um, she had started to have someone right before I came in. She, um, one of the customers that shopped here a lot, her name's Leslie, the previous owner started noticing her Instagram. I was like, Hey, could you do that for me? So she was doing it a little bit for the previous owner and, but no, no website really to speak of. Google was not claimed. Um, and that, you know, it was a couple Instagram posts a week. So then when I bought it, you know, obviously like our first, we built a website, like Jessica built a website for me. Leslie came with the store. We like to say like, now we're really good friends and people are like, Oh, have you been friends forever? No, she came with the store. But I can't take credit for Instagram. Like Leslie does all of it. She does. Um, we do a, a Instagram, Facebook, YouTube live every week to talk about what's new. And like, we're just kind of silly and we have a good time. Now we have people that want to watch us every week and they come in and things like that. We've claimed Google. And so we run Google ads for not just our online store, but Calgary, when people search for fabric stores to come to physically, um, you know, there's people that will come in and say, I lived here my whole life and didn't know this was here. So, you know, those kinds of things. And like Jessica has been, I can't take credit for that either. Like Jessica has been (laughs) um, instrumental in, you know, our, our Facebook, Instagram, Google ads have all been very successful for us. And then we send two newsletters a week, one that talks about products. We, we send that one after our Thursday video. And then one earlier in the week that's like a staff pick and tip Tuesday. Um, we send it on Tuesday. And, and so it's not focused on selling products. It's more focused on connection, that one. Uh, like her it's it's kind of nice because um you know when she started doing you know we decided for her to start doing Facebook lives and I think at first well Instagram or Facebook it was just Instagram or Facebook at first you know we've kind of just like layered stuff on for her right like initially also she has an email capture on her website it gets people discount codes so her list is constantly being built and then you know, she's able to get a lot of content just from Thursday, like her Thursday live with Leslie, they talk about all their own products. And then, you know, I think something that um, Jamie learned really quickly, and I think a lot of business owners struggle with is like delegating, you know, they, 
for one, it's kind of hard because you're trying to make like a living. It's hard to spend money on something that you don't necessarily know it's going to make you money. Um, but she obviously she pays Leslie to do social media and she also initially paid me and then I delegated that. And so she's paying some bit, somebody else to do, um, her emails. So, you know, the person takes the content that's done on the live and that's kind of like the information of what's new makes it into an email that also then gets put on. And then obviously at first two, we were uploading to YouTube and they weren't doing YouTube live, but now it's all three of them live. So then they're just, you know, evergreen content on all of those three channels and they get, they, that person, she, um, her name's Roz. She puts the newsletter that she's written onto the blog of the website as well and embeds the YouTube video. So, you know, it's like a lot of pieces of content are in a lot of different ways are made, you know, relatively efficiently, but they take, it's not Jamie doing that all right. Like, you know, people think it's her, but it's, <laughs> it's not. And I think that's also like true about a lot of businesses and people don't, they think they have to do it all, but they don't really. Right, right. Going back to that manufacturing situation too, where you feel like you have to do and be good at everything when you, you really right. don't have to to do all of it yourself. Um, and is it helpful to own a quilt shop and be interacting with quilt consumers who just come in um, every day uh, when it comes to sort of the development of so tights? I just wonder if there's interaction there um, between these two businesses and if that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, we get ideas from, from almost all of our products have come from not necessarily here at the store, more trade shows. Um, since So Tights has a booth at, tra- at consumer trade shows, and they're specifically focused on that product. And they'll be like, oh, well, I wish you could use it for this, or I use it for this. And we, you know, catalog that information and then see if we can do it better or make a new product. But here in the store, so tights are more like we sell them, obviously. And but because it's not what people are focused on, not a lot of our ideas come from here. They mostly come from trade shows. Mm-hmm. It is nice. One thing that's really nice is they are kind of like a little test kitchen though. Like when we have prototypes and stuff, um, you know, Jamie's only owned the store for a couple of years. So we haven't developed a lot of new product. You know, we try to do like one or two every six months. Um, but like, you know, they, she gets the prototypes as well. You know, we all get prototypes and stuff and then, you know, they've been testing them and trying them out and she shows them to them. And, you know, it's nice because you can get a little bit of initial feedback from those people as well. And I'd love to talk a little bit about um, managing all this product. So, and, and we're going to get to the cutting system in a minute, but um, when it comes to like warehousing, picking, packing, fulfillment, all this stuff, like once you have a lot of customers and all of the different um, collaborations that you mentioned with all the different designers and, and, um, and bloggers and things like that, it, it, you know, the demand starts to increase and going to these consumer shows. Um, and then you have to produce more of the same product. And, and so where, is all the product housed? Is this like in your garage or somewhere else? Um, and who is picking and packing all the orders and um, and managing inventory and all of that? Um, so we, that's like constantly changing, like every six months. <laughs> um, uh, initially, we 
we, uh, Susie that was working for us initially, um, she was actually like assembling the packages and shipping them all out, out of my basement of the house I lived in at the time. And then we kind of decided that actually like a fulfillment center would be more cost-effective for us at the time. So we went and we used a, a fulfillment center for about a year or a year and a half. But then actually they were, they were the ones picking and packing our orders when we did the Tula launch. And we didn't know, like when we shipped back product from trade shows too, we were like kind of made them mad a few times because we didn't do a very good job with like packing our inventory back up and sending it back to them and just be like all jumbled. Um, but we didn't know, you know? Um, but then we also like realized, you know, every time we wanted to do things like special things, like put a card at like a, a sticker or a card in the package. And like every time you do something like that, it, it adds costs. And so we kind of got to a point where the costs were less for us to fulfill ourselves and we had more control. We could have kind of a customer from a marketing perspective, we could have the opportunity in certain situations to like have a marketing opportunity and like a customer loyalty um, thing. So like when we notice that orders are from Montana, we usually like include just a little note that, you know, cause it's, a lot of times people have no idea that that they're ordering from a Montana company. You know, we have orders come from Amazon and it's from somebody that we know, you know, or something. Um, so we do house our inventory. We were housed in Columbus, which is the, um, for a, a couple of years there, that's where Susie was working out of. We just had a little garage that was actually her parents that we were renting from them. And um, she would, she worked out of her house and would just stock her office with enough product to fulfill. And um, then she moved on to another opportunity actually earlier this year. So we moved all of our inventory into Billings, which is where I live now, and had that in a shop. Um, now, which is also going to be very temporary, it is I've moved houses again here in Billings and uh, decided to house all of the inventory at my house in the garage. However, <laughs> our latest product Definitely, it takes a lot more space volume than I really calculated. Like we calculated it, but we didn't think about that we need aisles, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so I currently have um, a lot of cases of cutting systems in my bedroom. <laughs> and this is reality, you know, this is the way. So I think I, I appreciate you sharing about that because I think it's interesting to hear. And I think it's, um, it's relatable to a lot of people too. So who are sort of in the thick of things. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about this cutting system. Um, and I've been seeing online for a long time, um, people, you know, you have your cutting mat might be like one of those big green, big blue cutting mats that you have in your sewing room. I'm sure people can kind of picture what that looks like. And people will go get a big piece of sheet metal and they'll have it cut to the same size and then stick it underneath their cutting mat put their cutting mat on top. And what that does is make your cutting mat magnetic. Um, and there's a lot of really good reasons for that because once it's magnetic, I'm sure people might be aware of like pattern weights where you have to hold your pattern down with like, you know, something that's kind of weighty so that when you're using your rotary cutter, the fabric doesn't shift and things like that. Well, once your cutting mat is magnetic, you can use magnets for that. And it's very cool. Um, and so that being said, that's a very DIY you know, situation to be able to create something to customize your sewing room um, and appeals to a person who wants to do that. But not everybody is going to do that or even realizes that it's a possibility and, and how cool it can be once you have it set up. So 
um, when I was at H&H Americas, I got to see your new cutting system. So talk a little bit about sort of how you came to think about expanding into something like that, which is different from just a notion that you're using that you can like stick in your pocket. This is much larger. And, and as you've mentioned a few times, very complex. Um, so we we had um, customers suggest to us, like, it would be really cool if you could make a cutting mat that's magnetic because then I could use your products with it to, to hold down patterns and things like that. And we started looking into manufacturing that and like kind of kept running into Roblox. And then we actually learned that it was patented. So um, that whole concept is patented. The whole, whole like magnetic cutting system, you know, magnetic mat, magnets to be used for cutting and, you know, cutting out patterns is a patented concept. So we um, were kind of like, well, what are we going to do, you know? And so, but our IP attorney said, you know, all hopes not lost. Like um, we can see if we can find this person and you could contact them and see if you could license the rights to manufacture the product. product. And they actually helped us find them and then find her. And she's like, it doesn't really look like she's maybe doing like, I mean, it, it looks like she's doing it, but she might not be doing it as much. Or, I mean, who knows? You know, she's got a website live and has products being sold, but you just never know. They might be willing to like give you, they'll manufacture, but you will too. Or there's lots of ways to work things out. So um, I submitted a like, you know, contact form on her website and she didn't respond. So I thought, oh, she hates us. And she's like, go eat dirt, you know? Um, <laughs> but I was like, I should at least try to call her because there was a phone number and see if she maybe didn't get it. You know, she might not have gotten the email or maybe hadn't got back to it or something. And so I called her, I was like, so nervous. And like trying, like, I thought she was, you know, going to think I was a spammer. So because I would, right? And so I was like talking really fast. And I'm like, hi, my name is Jessica. I own a company called So Tights. We manufacture magnetic sewing pins and we know about your product and we want to manufacture something like that. And blah, 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 you know, like word vomit on her. She was so nice and like listening. Like at first she was kind of like, you know, you could tell she was skeptical. And then she like started listening more and she goes, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You are like, an answer to prayer or something like that, that she said. And um, she was like, yes, I want to talk to you. I didn't get your email. Thank you so much for calling me. I need to talk to my husband though. Like let's set up a phone call, this and that. And so we uh, worked with them over the course of a number of months to negotiate a contract and um, actually ended up doing an exclusive contract with her. So they're not even manufacturing. And she had actually run into a lot of roadblocks herself with manufacturing. She hadn't ever manufactured a product before she had this concept and had a patent for it but you know ran into a lot of roadblocks and just kind of actually during COVID kind of got frustrated with it and hadn't gotten back to it yet so it was just kind of you know very serendipitous timing that we had some experience that could in theory you know we didn't really know if we could go to market or not because there were there's some challenges with the manufacturing of the product that makes it actually very hard to product to produce and to like work and last. And so, um, you know, it was kind of like, we hope we can manufacture this thing. So, and if we do, you know, it'll be mutually beneficial for both of us. And, um, and so we 
obviously we have gone to market now with it and and we're very excited and and so are they. So that's great. And I think it goes to show a couple of things. One is if you run into a roadblock like that where someone else owns the patent, you know, that doesn't mean the answer is an absolute no, you know, and also to not assume if you, if you email someone via their website contact form that they've even gotten the email and also picking up the phone a lot of times is the best thing. However much some of us hate talking on the phone at this point, <laughs> but um, it goes a long way and, um, and you got to be brave and, and give somebody a call because you just don't know. You can't assume that they, you know, hate you and want, <laughs> want you to go away right. just because they didn't respond to your one message. So if she had said no, you would be right where you were anyway, right? So that's the thing, right? If there's a possibility of a yes, it's worth picking up the phone and and calling. Um, and so I would love to talk just as we are finishing up a little bit um, before we get to your recommendations about um, trade shows and consumer shows, because it sounds like going to these shows, whether you're going to a trade show where you're talking just to shop owners um, who are there to shop or, you know, content creators who are there to discover new products and make new collaborations, or you're going to a consumer show where you have quilters walking around and buying things. Um, but these in-person events um, post-COVID have been really important, or maybe pre-COVID as well, but have been really important to the growth of this business from the very get-go, right? From from giving out swag at QuiltCon, which really was the beginning of the business mm -hmm. and up until now. So I think there can be a feeling like, well, like your dad had like, oh, we can just have an online business. You know, we don't need to, we have kids, we don't need to spend the money and travel and do all of this. It's it's a lot of work to do these shows. So um so I, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about like the importance of being in those in-person situations to the growth of this business. We are, um, I mean, it, it has been like truly important because we do get a lot of good feedback uh, at the shows and then you're exposing yourself because no matter how big your online presence, there are people that don't know about you. So you're exposing yourself to a whole new group of people that may not know you exist. And um, we don't do every show. We we are selective about how many we do a year because we have families. And so we do quilt festival and quilt con. Those are for sure that we do every year. And, um, you know, we've, we've tried other shows in different parts of the country in different parts of the year to see what's working and what's not like Puyallup, um, and road to California um, what was the show in Fredericksburg? An AQS with an AQS show. OSQE. OSQE. Um, but yeah, they are they are really important, and they are they are expensive. And you may not necessarily, at the end of the day, when you look at it, you may not necessarily make a whole ton of money from that show. But there's all this residual that you might not necessarily see because people take cards, or they buy them, they go home and tell their friend or their guild you know, all these things that aren't tangible from the show, but they are for sure there. And for a long time, we, we mostly only did market and, um, and then consumer shows, but then obviously we've started going to H and H, you know, we had like H and H was a great show for us. And then, um, this year's going to be our yeah. first year of, of having a booth at market. We've always just networked. Um, we've always just walked the floor 
talk to people that have booze, people in the hall, you know, in the aisles, which has worked really great for us, especially like, you know, because it's not, it's not as expensive to do that. But we realized last year when we were walking the market floor, it's like, we literally know everyone now that has a booth. Um, you know, we've, we've had those conversations and now we need to have a booth so that we can have conversations with people we've never met before that might be, we're just passing in the aisles as well as obviously like, um, you know, local quilt shop owners and stuff like that. So this will be our first year of having a booth at market. Okay. That's great. And very encouraging. I think for people who might be wondering whether they should spend the money and do it. So, um, so I want to make sure, I mean, it's been really interesting talking about the, the growth and challenges and ups and downs of these businesses, but I would love to get to your recommendations and, um, we're going to start with you, Jessica, if that's okay. Um, and you wanted to recommend, it's interesting you, but you guys both recommended a Seth Godin, uh, product. Um, so uh, Jessica, you wanted to recommend his new book, The Song of Significance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I am a like a Seth Godin fangirl. Um, I have been for a long time. <laughs> I think I've read his blog for the last 12 years, at least um, every day. And, um, you know, if you know marketing, you probably can see some of the things that we do in our businesses that relate and I've learned from him. His latest book is on leadership more. Uh, I mean, which re- it all relates, right? He's basically saying like, we can't be the kinds of businesses we used to be. You know, our organizations are human and like treating our organizations like they're human and pe- the people in them aren't just cogs in a machine is the way forward and is the way that we're, our businesses are going to survive and how we're going to set ourselves apart and things. Um and it's written in typical Seth Godin style. It actually might just be a collection of his blog posts um, over the last couple of years that all related to the same thing. I can't remember. I I read it when it first came out, which was, I think, earlier this year. But I did like dog ear it to come back to and stuff. Um, I think it's something that I'll probably, as we grow and we actually do have kind of more of like leadership positions in the company, will be something that I make sure everyone reads. Um, and you know, I do believe that like I, and and so does Jamie. Um, we, I previously worked for an, an entity that was growing its business in a way that it was plugging people in and um, not necessarily treating them like they were individuals and kind of like that they were replaceable. And although you obviously have to have systems and outlines and, you know, things, it's like, we want to grow our business in a way that you know, some things and benefits and things are tailored to the individual, not necessarily the job, because ultimately, if if we're taking care of our people, then they're going to take care of our customers and, and, and the business. And Jamie, you wanted to recommend Seth's podcast called Akimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jessica told me about it, because like we said, she's, she's, I mean, fangirl, like, is an understatement (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know the first the first year here was it was really hard and it was really dark and Jessica's like maybe you should just listen to this podcast and it'll you know give you a little bit of perspective and a little bit of things to try and things like that and so I started listening to the podcast on the commute in and yeah like it, it was very very helpful 
for me and the like coming out of the real mindset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He talks up he talks about how hard it is and how you just just keep on going. And I think it can just feel good to know that you're not the only person who experiences this as being very difficult. Um, And Jessica, you wanted to recommend a guided journal from Mark Manson called the subtle art of not giving an F journal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Also a huge fangirl of Mark Manson, possibly more than Seth Godin. Um, he is somebody else I've read for a number of years. I think he has a really interesting perspective on philosophy and life and self-development that's actually actionable. And it kind of, if you aren't familiar with him, it sounds negative at first, but I think it's pretty entertaining and funny. And it's actually kind of like mindset shift to um, like think in a way that it's like, you know, what kinds of, you should be thinking about what kind of pain you want in your life because we all have pain. So what's the pain you're willing to deal with, right? Um And his guided journal is kind of a like, I think, you know, it parallels his book with the same title. And it's just a kind of way of outlining what pain you want in your life and identifying your values and your goal, you know, in some ways, your goals, and what habits you want in your life and stuff. And so I think when I I talked about that, I had just done like a brain dump, like one of the exercises is doing like a 20 minute brain dump of everything in the world that you could ever want to see or do in your life, even if you think it's like super outlandish and never would happen. So, I mean, I put down, I want to fly to space. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, you know, so it's like, um, it, and it was kind of an insightful exercise because also it kind of, for me, real, made me realize like how far I have come as well. You know, five years ago, my mindset and mentality and stuff was probably a lot more negative. (laughs) Um, And, how I have kind of shifted some things. And then we've obviously experienced some success in business and that always helps your confidence a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. So it's a great little book. Absolutely. That's a great recommendation. And Jamie, you wanted to recommend um, foundation paper piecing a quilt for the first time. And I will confess to have not done any foundation paper piecing. I've watched many videos about foundation paper piecing, but I have not done any. I need to start with some sort of really tiny project, but how is that going? Fine. I mean, that's so hard. And as you know, we're giving you this list of things we recommend, like just because we're all like self-growth and all this stuff. And I'm like, I got nothing over here. um, You know, I've never foundation paper piece an entire quilt so you know I mean I guess as much as I say like I'm certainly not as much of a goal setter as Jessica just but that is a goal I want to do it and you know I will I am doing it it's just taking me a little while but yeah because I'm not super confident with the technique and I want to become better at it and then you know then your interactions with customers are better when you actually know how to do something you're not just like regurgitating information you've absorbed Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I imagine that that's true. Having that a little bit of expertise in something, it makes it easier to advise people um, and relate to their, their challenges as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Jamie and Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was really great talking to both of you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Artistic Artifacts. 
Artistic Artifacts is a creative resource for fabric, fiber, and mixed media art products sold online and in their shop in Alexandria, Virginia. They're an authorized Bernina dealer and carry a full line of Wonderfill specialty threads. Their goal is to be the source of creative finds for the creative mind. So come shop with Artistic Artifacts. They carry a wide selection of fabrics for the sewing and quilting enthusiasts. Modern quilting cottons, Australian Aborigine designs, Indian, Indonesian, and African prints, hand-dyed, and so much more, along with a variety of notions and sewing supplies. You'll also find a wide selection of art supplies and vintage finds. Check it out at artisticartifacts.com or in-store in Alexandria, Virginia. Thank you so much, Artistic Artifacts. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.